Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Hard Currency. This is our last podcast of the year, the podcast that discusses the wonderful world of currencies. I'm Roger Blitz and with me to look back at 2016 and look at some pointers for the next year is Simon Derrick of BNY Mellon. Simon, the FT has been running a series asking for readers to sum up the year in a single word. Bonkers comes to mind to some of our readers. Any word in particular for you? I think I'm going to go with shocking. Right. You have been around for a while, is that not right? Yeah, so I've, been, I've, I've done years, a few years yes. doing this job, yes. So how did, how did 2016 feel compared to all those previous years? Well, I think that, first of all, we saw a remarkable shift in the way the market performed. We moved away from this being a, a yield-driven market, and we moved towards a far more event-driven market. It was about politics. But in the background, there were all this continued set of dreadful events taking place in Paris or Brussels or, or in Ankara or, or in Istanbul. And that was the shocking part of it, that those those things just continued on. But from a purely market's perspective, yes, it was the return of political risk that really struck me as one of the key stories. See, I was going to ask you, because the return of political risk, in other words, seasoned investors come through political experiences all the time. Are these just simply extreme political risks or is the fact that they were bunched together or the fact that these are simply uh, political movements that we simply haven't seen before? What's so special about these particular political risks compared to previous years? Well, I think it's, I think the first thing to say is that if you consider the way the markets, particularly the foreign exchange markets, have performed over the course of the previous few years, any kind of risk that wasn't related directly to yield in one form or another, or some of the real extremities, the the Greek crisis, for example, really were ignored. And the reason for that was that simply yields were so low, you know, negative yields across continental Europe, most obviously, but also in Japan, that investors were forced to search for yield almost come what may. The interesting bit about this year was that they'd almost been blindsided to those risks in the first half of this year. Yes, people were aware that the the EU referendum was coming up, but other than maybe in February, they'd ignored it. The presidential election was something that was vaguely in the distance. Nobody really worried up until the last couple of weeks in front of the referendum. And then when that shock came through, you saw something very different happen. You saw people realising that this is genuinely a big event. This is a game changer for the UK economy and continues to present a lot of uncertainties. But it broke the yield cycle. And what you saw was a currency that now behaved almost solely on the back of political events. And that, I think, was the remarkable thing. And he did say, I would argue, that actually... This was game-changing. It was something that investors had not had their eyes on. And it was the rise of, we've used the phrase many times, but it was the rise of populist politics. And maybe those of us in the markets, as much as politicians, were blindsided by that. So so that's one 
big takeaway from 2016. Have you got another, perhaps one that's that not necessarily on people's radar? Well, I, I certainly think for me, one of the interesting stories at the start of the year and the end of the year was Chinese currency policy. You will remember that if we go back to January this year, China was spent something like $100 billion that month alone in, uh, to defend the renminbi. And here we are coming into the end of the year. I think they spent close to $70 billion in November. That, I think, is fascinating. But where it gets really interesting is when you look beneath the surface and you look at the U.S. Treasury's ticks data and you suddenly realize that mainland China is also reducing its holdings of U.S. Treasuries. I think, believe that between the end of June and the end of October, mainland China's holdings reduced by $125 billion. That's going on 10% of their holdings. Things. That, that I think is an interesting story, and that I think is still below people's radar. Okay, so those are your two big pointers of 2016, and do they shape and frame how you're feeling about the next year? Yes, they do, because in multiple ways. I mean, Europe is certainly, I think, an area where people are focusing on right now. Obviously, the French presidential election, the German federal elections possibility of an Italian election, which was still in the background. We have the Dutch general election as well. So certainly I think that that will gain far more attention now. And I think that the way the Italian referendum played out will make that uh, particularly a focus for investors. It will certainly be a focus here in the UK, where political stories continue to dominate the performance of Sterling. So are we going to trigger Article 50 at the end of March? How's the Supreme Court ruling going to play its way out in early January? But also, I think, domestic and international politics for the dollar. I think we need to see quite how the Trump campaign really works its way through and how they interact with China. But I also think we need to focus carefully on what the Trump administration thinks about a strong dollar. Because so far, the market has simply focused on the high yield. It's simply focused on what's happening in the domestic economy, entirely reasonably. But will the Trump campaign be truly happy to see a dollar yen that's trading at 125 or 130 or wherever it gets to, or a euro that's trading well below parity? Do you think that the market will look at the Fed as a kind of a backstop Given how hawkish Yellen was last week, that actually the market can now turn their attention to thinking about fiscal and Trump as a kind of a bonus. But if that doesn't happen, if he does disappoint in that direction, there is still what Yellen thinks about the US economy, which is incredibly robust. And I, and I certainly think that that will be an important driver. But what this really reminds me of is 1985. And remember, we had loose fiscal policy, we had tax cuts, we had a relatively hawkish Fed, we had a dollar that soared through 1984 and 1985. And it was the pressure from US corporates that was brought to bear on Congress and which in turn was brought to bear on the Reagan White House that led to the abandonment of a laissez-faire attitude towards the dollar and ultimately the, the, the Plaza Accord, which came in November of 85. Now, I'm not arguing we're going for a Plaza Accord, yeah. but I can imagine those domestic political pressures in heartland US, which of course was also the heartland of support for President-elect Trump, I can imagine him being particularly sensitive to those kinds of calls. So a strong dollar? Yes, I can absolutely see that. And I can imagine it going a lot further than, than perhaps, you know, forecasts currently suggest. But 
Do I think that it would lead to a political pushback within the US? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I see. Just finally, Simon, I mean, clearly we talk about what we think is probably going to be the strong currency of next year. What's going to be the weakest? As, as we finish 2016 at the moment, it's, it's the Argentinian peso and the Turkish lira. Do you have a sense of, I mean, do we, do we look to EM to pick up the wooden spoon for 2017 currencies? Well, I think there's plenty of potential candidates for the wooden spoon. <laughs> I mean, amongst the mainstream currencies, take your choice. I actually think that the market's taken its eye off sterling a little bit over the course of the last yeah. few weeks. We've had so much focus on the euro that we, maybe we've forgotten the, the risk here. And I suspect that... Much as in early October when Theresa May said we're going to trigger Article 50, when we actually find out we really are, I think we could see another sharp sell-off for sterling. But I think that if we're looking at where, well, not necessarily the wooden spoon, but where I think that you could see the, the biggest shock to the downside, relatively speaking... I think there's a reasonable chance that China may rethink its currency policy. They're spending all this money and they have brought in, obviously, tightened up the controls of money flowing out. They're doing everything they reasonably can to keep a stable currency, and rightly so. But it must be galling to be spending $60, $70 billion, or seeing reserves drop by $60, $70 billion, and at the same time to be called a currency manipulator. So I think that how that plays out is going to be fascinating next year. There we go. Simon Derrick of BNY Mellon, thank you very much. So there we have it. The words of 2016 was either bonkers or shocking. The word of 2017 looks like being China. A Merry Christmas to all our listeners. We look forward to having you back for Hard Currency in January. Goodbye.